Good morning. It's good to see you. This morning, we're going to be in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Ever heard the expression righteous indignation? It's anger at injustice. I think a safe example would be how we feel when we see someone being bullied, someone unfairly treated. Paul is peeved. I don't recall any experts using the word peeved to describe Paul's attitude or the velocity and ferocity of the words that he uses here, but he uses some strong language. He has some tough words, strong words about false righteousness, about his own self-righteousness, and about Christ's righteousness. Let me read the passage out loud. You follow along in your Bible. Finally, my brothers, and that would include sisters, you understand, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. And it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus And put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under or by or according to the law, blameless. But whatever I gain, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith or the faithfulness of Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith or his faithfulness, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him 
in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. As I said, Paul's peeved. Maybe I feel it a little bit more than you do when we read the English translation. There's some strong words here. But it's important to know that that indignation that he feels is because of an injustice that's being perpetrated. A bully who's bullying and getting away with it. That kind of indignation is really something we experience even in the movies. It's the soul of a lot of hit movies. It reminded me of uh, when I was a young guy, the Clint Eastwood series of movies about Dirty Harry. And there's one where the bad guy, he is so bad, you, you hate that guy because of the injustices that he perpetrates, that he commits on little children. And Dirty Harry has a chance. He's got him pinned down. And he says, come on, punk, make my day. And everybody cheers. Everybody feels it. We ought to be feeling a little of that when Paul expresses his indignation here. He's peeved. He's, he's actually, he's ticked. I mean, come on. He says, watch out or beware or look out. And he says it three times. Look out, look out, look out. And then look at the words he uses. Watch out for those dogs, those workers and workers of evil and those mutilators. That's strong language. Who's he talking about? Who are these people? They're the Judaizers or Judaizers. It's a word that Paul coins, as far as I know, in Galatians 2, verse 14. They're missionaries. They're teachers that dog Paul's work. They make the rounds of the churches that he's created by winning people to Jesus Christ. And then they come along and they say, yeah, you know, uh, we're all for Jesus because these are, these are Jewish Christians from the mother church in Jerusalem. But they're convinced that you need not only Jesus, but you need Moses too. You need the law of Moses. You need the sign of circumcision. You need the dietary laws. You need the Jews' way of living. And that upsets Paul because of the damage that it does, because of what it does to young, joyous Christians. They're picking on these young Christians, and Paul wants to warn the Philippians, if they get there, watch out. Don't let them hoodwink you. Don't let them get to you. Don't let them turn you or flip you. 
in your faith and trust and confidence in Jesus Christ in a way that leads you to ground your confidence and your trust and your faith in the things of what Paul calls the flesh. And that begins with circumcision, especially and literally for the men. So he really kind of treats them as bullies. Have you ever been picked on? Maybe you realize that that feeling of indignation. I remember when I was in high school, I went to a dance. It wasn't the only dance I attended, but in this particular, at this particular dance, uh, I was sitting by the, by the entrance and three cowboys came in, big, strapping, handsome, clean-cut cowboys, and they looked at me and they uh, said, let's get us some hippies. Well, I guess I was the happy hippie that they were looking at. So I just excused myself and went to the bathroom. And they followed me. And they had me pinned in the bathroom. When out of one of the stalls came Dennis Constable. Dennis Constable was the mammoth, massive and mammoth nose tackle of our football team. And he stood right behind me. Actually, he towered over me and said, is there a problem? And those guys backed out of the bathroom. And Dennis Constable became my hero. Paul is our mammoth nose tackle. Paul is shouting from prison in this letter. Don't buy it. Watch out. It's a bad bargain. They'll quote the Bible. They'll remind you it's God's word. They'll play on your desire to be a good citizen and that you should keep the law. And they'll basically tell you to live like Jews, like them. And Paul's saying to them, and he's saying to us today, beware Any law but Christ replaces our liberty with legalism. These missionaries wanted to add something, and people are susceptible to addition. Subtraction, they notice. But addition, yeah, add this on. But it's that addition. It's that something that needs to be added to their citizenship as as Philippians in Christ that would fundamentally alter their citizenship and alter their identity in Jesus Christ. Paul's point here is, as citizens, anything but Christ is a bad bargain. And he has strong words on the subject. Strong words for false righteousness in verses 2 and 3, and then again in verses 18 through 20, which we won't look at all of right now, but he says, look out for those dogs, which is kind of ironic and a real dig 
because it was the observant, the law-observant Jews who thought of Gentiles and people who were not observant of the law as dogs. They called them dogs, not puppies, not pets, not your dog. These were those pesky, unclean dogs that roamed the, the grounds and ate trash, and, and it was a real jab at anyone who wasn't observant like they were. He calls them evil workers, which is a jab at the duties that they fulfill and take such pride in. And it's those duties that make them feel smug and superior and above others and closer to God and favored by God. In 2 Corinthians 11.13, Paul refers to these same Judaizers, he calls them deceitful workers. In verse 4 of this chapter, chapter 3, it's they who take pride, who glory in their flesh. And so this is a jab at that. And then he calls them the false circumcision because in verse 3 he says, we are the true circumcision. Not we have the true circumcision, we are the true circumcision. We are the sign of the covenant. And Paul, he doesn't spare any, I mean, no, no niceties here. Here, instead of the word circumcision, he changes just a part of that word to call them mutilators rather than circumcisers. In Galatians, he uses even stronger language. They who castrate, they don't just circumcise. Paul is upset. And I think he is very concerned for the Philippians that they should fall prey if they don't look out, be on their guard, realize who their true source of salvation and their true identity is. Remember the Lord's Supper which we observe on a regular basis because we are to remember. And what does Jesus say after supper? The cup also, saying this is the new covenant. That covenant displaces circumcision and the covenant that circumcision stands for. Because in circumcision, you are committed to fulfilling the tenets and commandments, the duties and the responsibilities of that covenant. Do not return to that covenant, Paul is saying. Do not return to that life of rule-keeping. These bullies beat up simple-hearted Christians who want to love Jesus and follow him and serve him and love and forgive and be like him, be Christ-like. They rob us of our joy in the Lord. They riddle us with doubt and guilt. They ruin us, turning us into persnickety Pharisees. And the craziest thing is, is that when we turn that way, we look nothing like Jesus Christ. In verse 3, this is 
This is red letter writing right here. Paul says, we are the circumcision. We are the ones who worship God by his spirit and put our pride, find our boast, not in the flesh, you see, not as they, in their works, but in Jesus Christ. And we have and find no confidence in the flesh. So Jesus, he is stressing, plus anything is a bad bargain. It's the additives to Christ that we have to be aware of, that we have to look out for, that we have to be on our guard against because they're so insidious and destructive. I remember as a new believer, maybe not even a couple of months walking with the Lord, I was invited to go to Sonora, California, up into the mountains. There was a chapel of prayer, a fellowship of uh, happy hippies like me, living for Christ. So I uh, went up there for the night. And uh, really, I was so new to all this. And the leader of the, of the group, and I just, you know, I was kind of in awe of this guy. And we were walking that evening after dark, and he said, you know, I, I, I sense God is doing something very special and important in you. And then he began to talk to me about the necessity of speaking in tongues. I was so troubled. I, Jesus isn't enough. That is what I heard. And I struggled and struggled. I remember to this moment driving down the hill. Lord, have, have I somehow gotten this wrong? What does all this mean? That's the kind of effect that additives to Jesus Christ can have on us. It can cause us to feel insufficient when we are sufficient in Christ. The only plus sign that counts is Jesus plus you. Paul has strong language for those who major on minors and additives to Jesus Christ. And he has strong words by comparison for his own righteousness, which he uses as a comparison to encourage the Philippians. Lest somehow they think Paul doesn't know what these guys, these Judaizers are talking about. Paul defines righteousness in verse 6, their kind of righteousness, his kind of righteousness. This is a righteousness by the standard of the law. If you're on one scale and the law is on the other, to be equitable, to be acceptable, your scales have to balance. Paul says, by that measure, I was fully acceptable. I remember uh, April 12, 2012, White Sox pitcher Philip Humber 
pitched a perfect game. I've had a thing about pitchers who pitch perfect games. A perfect game is 27 batters in a row, all of them retired in a row. No walks, no hits. It's a feat. As of today, only 21 pitchers in the centuried history of baseball have pitched perfect games. Humbert pitched a perfect game. Later that same year, he was cut from the team. The White Sox let him go. What happened? Why would you, why would you cut someone who pitches a perfect game? Well, an SI article, Sports Illustrated article, chalked it up to Humber's deadly character flaw, perfectionism. They wrote, for one magical April afternoon, Philip Humber was flawless. But the achievement came with a heavy burden. The pressure to live up to a standard no one can meet, quote, unquote. You see, his problem wasn't talent. It wasn't desire. But it was the unrealistic expectations that he put on himself. He drove himself crazy trying to prove every day he went out to the ballpark that he was a pitcher capable of pitching a perfect game. And the pressure and the stresses crushed him, nearly destroyed him, and did that season as a pitcher. The article ended on a note of hope. It said, Humber doesn't know what will come next in his baseball story, but he knows this. He's done chasing perfection. And Paul has, has finished with it too. That's what he's saying here. He's found a true perfection, better than his own, the perfection of Jesus Christ. And the craziest thing, it is so contrary to our nature and our makeup, that perfection, that perfect perfection is a gift. You can't earn it. You have to accept it. You have to welcome it. And when you do, you know joy. Everything else, anything else, but Christ robs you of your joy. Christ made it all look foolish. Everything that Paul had achieved. He who outdid those who were making the rounds saying you've got to do more. And here's how. Live the way we live. Paul says, I outlived him. I've thrown all of it away. All my treasured assets, he says, in verse 6 and 7, and again in verse 8. All my treasured assets are really liabilities. My treasure was a bad bargain. That's the meaning of the Greek. A bad bargain. In effect, 
all that I gave so much to win was bought at a price too high, too dear, and not worth it. It's a bad bargain. It's a dead loss. In fact, Paul says in verse 8, it was a pile of stinking crap. Uh, It doesn't say the word stinking, but it uses a word that was used of cow dung. And I got to tell you, there's an olfactory character that goes with that the mention of that word. Paul uses strong language here. And listen, if you're just reeling because I said that, you're missing the point. And it may be that you need to look into your heart and see that it's so easy to become gripped in this Persnickety Phariseeism. Ooh, you've got to do it just this way. Do it the way I do it. Believe it the way I believe it. You're falling into the very thing that upsets Paul here. Let's talk about our grounds for confidence and pride. Today's social standards and scales our modern add-ons to Jesus, appearance and looks, how often we compare ourselves to others, finding them deficient or sadly being enslaved by feeling we aren't able to live up to the comparison or the looks that our society requires. How about money? How much? How it's managed or spent or whether it's shared? Jobs? Who's faster, stronger, more accomplished, more highly accomplished and achieved? Politics? Who's on the right side? How often do we belittle others because of our political affiliations? How often do we vilify others and justify a hatred? Oh, we would never use that word. But internally, our blood pressure begins to pump. And maybe when we're around people who are safe, we even say something nasty and belittling. We're hating those very people that Jesus said we're to love. Why? Because we're all caught up in doing the right things, being the right people, being on the right side of the issue. And it's destroying us. And it's characterizing us as just another version of our society. It's not liberating, it's legalizing us. And we've got to stop it. And we can only stop it when we set our eyes on Jesus Christ. It's a version of Christians plus, Christians and, Christians also. And the add-ons are to our identity in Jesus Christ. 
just as the Judaizers were trying to add something on to the identity of their citizenship, it's happening to us in our citizenship in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't look like we're citizens of Jesus anymore. It screams Jesus is not enough. And Paul has strong words for Christ's righteousness because it is enough. In verses 7 through 11, there's overlap with what Paul's saying because he's, as he's counting his own achievements as nothing more than trash and garbage, something that repulses him, that makes him turn his head to think that he gave so much to that. It's only because he's comparing it. He's looking at Jesus Christ. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Religious, social, political, athletic, any combination is seen when it's seen in the light of Jesus is seen as stinking waste. The law is no longer the standard, you see, by which righteousness is measured. The scale and the standard is now Jesus Christ, not the law. Not your law, not anyone's law. Any law plus Jesus is a bad bargain. What Paul writes here in verses 10 and 11 should give us pause. We need to set our eyes, our hearts on him. Where is Jesus in the scale? Where is Jesus in the standards of your life? When you measure, when you weigh, when you scale the things that are important in your life, where's Jesus? That's a question we all need to seriously ask ourselves. And we need to do a little evaluating. We need to do a lot of evaluating. What he writes here in 10 and 11 continues. The thrust of it continues all the way to the end of this chapter through verse 21. He says something that breaks his heart. In verses 17 through 21, he says something that would make Jesus weep. In verses 17 through 21, he's talking, he may be talking about you and me. He's talking about Christians that have succumbed. to the additives, to the encroachments, to the destructive combinations of Jesus plus Jesus and, and Jesus also. Jesus on, in, and this brand, and Jesus and that version. 
and Jesus and this, and Jesus and that. And I'll tell you, there have been times when it has broken my heart as a pastor. When people leave the church over the most trivial additives to Jesus Christ. It's a shame on us that these things happen. That we cannot work them out. That we don't find our common ground in Jesus. Let me read these verses to us. Verses 17 through 21. Paul says, imitate me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you, now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. This you see in this, I'm not reading here, I'm inserting here. This is my commentary. With tears have become enemies of Christ because they're peddling a polluted version of him in the way they lead and live and require others. Their end, he says, is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things. That's a real hook right there. But our citizenship, he says, is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now let's go back and read that first verse of the chapter once more. Listen to what Paul says. Again, he says, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write this again is no trouble to me. And it is a safeguard for you. You see, as citizens, anything but Christ is a bad bargain. Joy is, is not found in what I do or what you do for God. Joy is found in what Jesus Christ has done for us. And what does joy follow? It follows love. In the fruit of the Spirit, it follows love. Just as our joy follows the love of Jesus Christ that we accept and recognize because he is Lord. He is Messiah. He is our righteousness, our gift from God. God bless you. I hope you'll ponder these things this week. I know it will bless you to do so. So I want to hug you, give you the elbow bumps, and give you a big kiss. We love you. God bless you.